This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. April Engelberg joins us now, um, who uh, loves to weigh in on these municipal issues with me. Thanks very much for the time this morning. How are you? Good morning, Greg. Yes, I have. I have not partied. You have not. Well, it's but it's it can be on the wish list. Maybe let's you know, it's a long year ahead of us, including a leap year. So let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If they change the night economy. So that's exactly that. So there's a survey still online and it's about making updates to the night economy. A few different things that people are talking about. One is potentially extending last call. I don't know that that would happen beyond for certain events that we already have it for, like TIFF, for example, and even that's like mm-hmm. only in a certain area. Um, but something that I do think is really interesting is they're looking at allowing nightclubs outside the downtown core, specifically in commercial areas. And that could be great because if it's a commercial area, it's not going to be keeping anybody up at night, right? Because it's like, let's say there's an office complex, but then they allow a nightclub nearby. Ideally, they're there won't be residents like above the nightclub or next to the nightclub. Um, So it could be a good location and to kind of spread things out around the city. Yeah. It's hard in Toronto. Even something like Massey hall as legendary as it is uh, April is under stricter regulations than, than the new club out in uh, out in the beaches, basically history like Drake's club history doesn't have as many requirements because it's not seen as the same kind of residential area that Massey Hall would be. So, you know, you can have more things and you can do it later at night. Definitely. And I think it's great for us to have, you know, more venues, more multi-purpose venues and more areas that people can go out. So I obviously live right downtown where it feels like every single club is right around me. And there's an extremely vibrant nightlife around here uh, in the core. But we may as well expand it to different areas. But what's noise like for you? And if your circumstances were, oh, I need to get up early in the morning or I've got a baby or a toddler. I know I know that ends up being a time when you're like the, the a screech of tires outside somebody's house in the suburbs yeah. can wreck your night. What is noise like for you that you hear? Uh, I sleep with earplugs. <laughs> it's totally fine. It, it's fine. Like obviously, I'm sure there's some things happening outside my window, but it's it's not like I, I there's clubs and stuff around me, but it's not like I can hear any of it inside my condo. It's totally fine. Um, on that on that front, Brad Wheeler wrote in the Globe and Mail about the live music scene. Something I love to keep my. Uh, a finger to the pulse on and the idea of doing more shows in the suburbs. And I'm noticing this as well, that um, we've got a venue out in Pickering at the casino. Woodbine has a brand new venue. They're starting to have some shows at, uh, and this is even getting brought up again. There's a photo of where the, the, um, the Rogers cup, the national bank Rogers cup usually is the professional tennis. And they tried my recollection is to have concerts there and get some big names in, And I thought it kind of flopped. But bottom line is they're looking outside the city to have shows instead of inside the city, aren't they? Exactly. So looking at some areas on the outskirts, and I think it's a great idea because we have, you know, we have concert venues. But for example, they're talking about in the summer, you know, there's Budweiser Stage or there's Echo Beach, but there's not very many outdoor options. Whereas they're saying, look at let's look at venues that we already have that are being underused. Right. So like Budweiser stage had 65 shows there a year. I love that venue, yeah. but they're showing this, this uh, place at York university that's used for tennis uh, could host 9,000 people to watch an outdoor show. So that's awesome. Or at Woodbine, there's a new indoor venue. And so the idea is let's, as, as long as acts mm. are willing to perform there, uh, 
at least the one at York University is subway accessible. It's mm. outside. There's seats. So if that means that we could have two outdoor, three outdoor shows in a given night in the summer because all the venues are used, that's great. I, I definitely support it. And I think we need to make the best use of venues that we already have. And it's documented. Um, I grew up as a kid going to uh, Kingswood of Canada's Wonderland for shows and you didn't give it a second thought. You got in the car or took public transit. You got your way up to Vaughan. And you went to those shows before they obviously built uh, what was then the Molson Amphitheater and then Bud Stage. I got to I got to move uh, in the next 90 seconds here. But property okay. tax and rent, you you make a great point about this. And we won't know whether this property tax is going to be increased, decrease until we talk a, a week or so from now. But is there anything to rent going down over the last few months? Is there a worry that a lot of people are simply fleeing the city and there's going to be it's going to be tough to fill spaces in apartments and condos? How do you view it? Exactly. So many people might not be feeling it, but rent has actually gone down a a little bit in the last few months. And so there's articles saying, oh, well, if property tax goes up by 10.5 percent, will people's rent start going up, et cetera. What I would say to that is, on one hand, we're spending so much time like in the news cycle focusing on, oh, are we going to be able to afford this 10.5% property increase, right? That's just for homeowners, which is around half of Toronto's population. Um, Meanwhile, renters that are living in any unit that's built after, sorry, that was first occupied after 2018 November, um, their rent can go up by any amount. So for them, even like a 10% jump wouldn't Mm -hmm. be that shocking, right? So uh, it's it's actually very insecure to be a renter in the city uh, that is in the unit that's relatively new, which is so many of the units around me because Mm -hmm. any... Any year that your your lease is renewing, it can be literally any amount. It's happened to me once where my rent went up by like $500, so I moved. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that renters in the city are dealing with. I hear you loud and clear. Hey, uh, what an important week here. Thanks for giving us uh, some insight and, and weighing in on some of these big issues coming up over the next few days. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Noka DeGroob is a former school board t- trustee, and she joins us now, as she often does on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back in. Thanks very much for giving us the time. Thanks, Greg, for having me. It's great to it's great to be here. It's great to talk to you about this very important issue. It really is. I, I have have I gone too far in defining it as I think it's been a crisis for some time. Maybe we overuse that word in our society, but I think it has been for schools, for students, for administrators, for for even communities. It 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 really has been that to me. Is that too too exaggerated? No, absolutely not. I think you're you're completely right. It has been a crisis, and it's been a crisis that's been allowed to occur. Um, by, by um, you know, various levels of government, but specifically the provincial government. Yeah, I thought that was interesting yesterday, and I'm glad you said that. Mark Miller uh, is now the immigration minister uh, for the federal government. Jill Dunlop is the minister of colleges and universities. And we haven't seen hide nor hair. I promise you, I do this, and I'm trying to be as thorough as I can, Noka, in between naps and eating. And I can't yeah. find <laughs> video or audio of Jill Dunlop ever talking about this ever talking about this and i'm like this is your bread and butter this is your this is your job yeah absolutely i mean it's so the biggest issue that's um that's uh, occurred is we have so we have um you know obviously we have public universities and, and colleges and we have private career colleges and private career colleges aren't supposed to be completely unregulated there are some that are but um there's there's just not 
there, there isn't enough restrictions, um, but they are regulated. There's an act for them provincially. Um, they are supposed to be registered. The province um, approves their programs, especially the vocational programs. So, and, and there are ways to report a, a career college that isn't um, registered. And there's a superintendent that's supposed to be providing oversight. So why are we going wrong here? Right. So and, and there's there's where are the penalties for, for, for the people who aren't uh, doing things the way they're supposed to be doing? No, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because there hasn't been an element of self-policing. And you and I both see and hear the universities are saying, hey, listen, we haven't and colleges, too. We haven't been able to raise tuition since a freeze from the Ford government in 2019. All that is fair, but there will have to be some give and take in terms of walking back what you're collecting from international students. And there hasn't been much oversight from the province in how many international students, Noka, and, and where's that money going? What's it used for? Is it used for deficits? Is it used for infrastructure? Nobody knows. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the reality is this has been going on for a long time, right? And I think because of the, the freezes, which, by the way, we also I, I support a tuition freeze. Kids can't afford to get to, to keep paying higher higher uh, education um, education costs. But there's also um, a base funding that uh, public uh, institutions receive from the government. That's also been frozen, and they've been asking for that to be increased for years because of inflation, because everything is more expensive now, and the government's refusing to do that. So what what that has done is it's made uh, public uh, institutions more reliant on on funds they're getting from international students to be able to get by. Now, the interesting thing about this is Mark Miller told them that, okay, you have this uh, set of uh, permits that you're going to get for every province, and it's going to be divided by population. But the province is going to decide which institutions get how many permits. So we're going to see if the Ford government uses these permits to help to make sure that, you know, our public institutions continue to thrive or they're going to actually try to save private career colleges because they're limited. Yeah, what a, what a great point. I mean, the concept is, and I, I got about a minute here uh, to finish up, but the concept is I've seen headlines that this could cut admissions by half in Ontario. It's not going to cut it by the same percentage in other provinces just because the demand is overwhelming to be here and almost, no, almost specifically in southern Ontario. That's where that demand is. Yeah. Absolutely. And then and then the biggest thing is what happens if uh, universities and colleges can't afford to run the programs because of, you know, they just don't have money. Right. So what happens Do they start cutting programs, laying off faculty? Is that the next stage of the of this crisis that we're going to have to live through? I don't know. Eventually, it's Canadian students who are going to have to pay the price for uh, the Ford government's mm-hmm. refusal to properly regulate um, post-secondary education. Yeah. I uh, love getting your insight on this, Noka. Thanks so much for the time today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Parthi Candival, who's a Scarborough-based Toronto City Councillor, and he joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back on. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Greg. Good to have you back. Good morning. That's okay. It's one of those things where, as well, I look at this project uh, with the Scarborough Rapid Transit, and I see numbers like late 2026 or early 2027, and, and it drives me crazy. This was needed two years ago, not three or four years from now. What are you hearing from your constituents about the idea of being able to snap the finger and build things in the city proper quickly, but out in Scarborough? No, no, no. That's going to take 36, 48 months. That's no good. 
Exactly. There's a lot of frustration. This is clear cut from the beginning. The plan to decommission was November 2023. This was known for more than a year and a half prior. The design work should have been done by November 2023. We knew it, of course, de- derailed July 2023. That should have be- this should have been a priority from the beginning. So to have this report come out, I think, um, creates a lot of confusion, frustration, and and a question on the on the efficacy of the TDC um, and where Scarborough is in that equation. And this is meant to also, Parthi, just to be a Band-Aid, really, because, the, the I mean, the, the jewel at the end of uh, of the journey is the Scarborough subway extension. But we're talking, what, six, seven years for that to be ready? Like, this is just meant to be temporary until that gets going. Easily 2020, 2031, 2032. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a question of respect. And, and it's also a question of uh, priority. This was, you know, known for a long time. We... Uh, are now seeing commute times of 30 minutes each way. We're hearing that from TDC riders. We're hearing that from, you know, the frustration of drivers seeing a major artery like Kennedy Road and seeing cars idling, to your point earlier, mm-hmm. um, along a major artery. So this is, uh, it's bad for everyone. And it's a question of priority. The The budget uh, needs to address this. And I think in the lead up to the mayor's budget on May, on February 1st, um, this is going to be a, a big conversation, certainly on Thursday when the TDC board meet. So this is all obviously, you know, you dove run right into this. When we call, uh, you answer. And I, I appreciate it because I will tell you not every Toronto, Toronto City Council does. Some do, some don't. But are you realizing right now that it's you're going to have to dig in right for your people? This is an uphill battle sometimes to kind of fight and advocate for your constituents um, against some, I don't want to, I don't want to pit downtown against the suburbs, but you got it. You like, you got to be loud and fierce about this stuff. I'm sure you're realizing that. And you probably realized it when you ran. Exactly. It's, it's about political will. You know, that's something I, I saw at the school board over eight years. If something's a priority, it'll get, it'll get done. Uh, we're seeing Scarborough counselors come together on this, our concerns about the Delta hotel and, uh, you know, this is it's something that it needs to be reflected in uh, in in the budget. And, you know, it's e- it's easy to ask the province for money. That's great. And I think we'll all back that. But this is our jurisdiction. We knew about this for two years going into 2023 to tell Scarborough folks now it's going to be 2026 with more congestion, more traffic and terrible user experience. It, it creates doubt um, in an apathy, really, in uh, uh, a, a major core function of the of the city. The TDC is a massive part of our budget, and it needs to work for everyone, uh, not just certain communities. If we're funding the waterfront LRT and the design work there, when folks haven't, when residential yeah. development yeah. hasn't even come in, but we're not serving existing residents, it, it's a, it's a it's a legitimate question that creates the question: who gets what? Who's prioritized in the city? And Scarborough folks uh, are feeling that frustration every day. They're stuck on uh, uh, two major arteries, Kennedy and Midland in Scarborough. Parthi Canaval, our guest, uh, Reps Ward 20, Scarborough Southwest, joining us on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. You perked my uh, my interest. Tell me about the Delta Hotel. I know a few years ago it was being uh, utilized and operated as a as mm-hmm. a homeless shelter. Is is that still the issue? What's the issue you bring up about it? It's a, it's a big question that's coming up at the February Council. We're seeing all of our Scarborough hotels um, being used as shelters. And that was the appropriate strategy during COVID when they weren't seeing business and we had the need. Now mm-hmm. it's 
It's a year and a half out of COVID. Uh, and, you know, if my brother-in-law is getting married, we have nowhere to keep our folks, like guests from abroad. It was the only nice hotel. It's had an economic impact in Scarborough. Um, a lot of soccer tournaments, hockey tournaments are host folk teams, 10, 15 teams, which is players, their families would stay at the Delta and then eat out at the restaurants nearby. The fact we don't, A, it's our only nice hotel in Scarborough. It's a sad reality, but it has to be acknowledged. Yeah. And if people are coming in, there's nowhere to stay in Scarborough Hotel. This is pathetic for a, a region within Toronto that's close to 700,000 people, bigger than London, Windsor, without a hotel. Uh, it's a reflection of the priorities of the city, and it's something all Scarborough councillors made very clear at uh, the Infrastructure, um, sorry, Economic Community Development Committee last week. That's and, really something. Uh, like, like I, I, while you're while you're talking, I'm processing it, but I also looked up getting a hotel room in Scarborough on Expedia. Um, let's say I just picked a random weekend, February 10th. And it's virtually impossible. I could stay at the Best Western. I could stay at the Super 8. Um, but but you're right. It is there your you best go. hotel by a mile. And I, I can't imagine what that's doing for the community because that's, that's jobs, that's business, that's infrastructure, that's all of it. That's yeah. tourism. Completely. You hear it from residents uh, to uh, Scarborough Business Association rightfully mm-hmm. spoke up. Uh, it's having a massive impact. And again, it's a question on there, there's on, on priorities. Uh, and how, how um, regions, areas get get treated. Hey, um, what do you, I want to know, uh, and I know I'm making us late, but w- what are you hearing from constituents about the police budget? What what do they want? Do they think a 1.7 increase, percent increase is enough? What are you hearing from your constituents in terms of um, giving the police what they're asking for? Uh, Safety is a concern. I heard that loud and clear in 2022 and, and the my by-election last November. Um uh, people want to to see uh, safety be part of the conversation. Um, that that includes sensitivity training, working liaising with the crisis unit. That's you know helping offshore some calls, but safety is a concern. Uh, that was loud and clear. And uh, you know it's a question I asked at budget yesterday. Mm. What's the ratio of police officer to civilians? It's very clear. The data shows we've got one of the lowest uh, ratios in in the country. And, of course, compared to American cities, it's even lower than that. So I think we've got to also not just look at it qualitatively in terms of who we hire and how they operate, but what's the ratio from a quantitative perspective. And uh, the data is clear that it's one of the lowest, and that needs to be addressed and and looked at it from a, you know, from a... uh, unbiased perspective i hear that i know you got a busy week important week thanks for giving us some of your time this morning parthy i appreciate it you know that no problem Greg. thanks a lot parthy candival toronto city Councilor for scarborough southwest ward 20 this is toronto today with greg brady toronto's news today's talk 640 toronto really concerning numbers about dementia and alzheimer's and today uh is well we're in the middle of january which is alzheimer's awareness month across canada let me lay this on you. Right now, there's 650,000 people living with dementia in Canada right now. And you may know people in your own family. Uh, this may be a partner. It is happening earlier uh, to some men and women as well. Uh, as you know, I lost my father-in-law uh, to early onset dementia. And he started you know, really having, having issues and problems when he was 64, 65. Um, so you might be 60 thinking, I'm great right now. You, you'd be amazed how quickly uh, things can happen. And in a new study that came out yesterday, the Alzheimer's Society of Canada predicts there'll be 1.7 million people living with dementia in 2050. Some of that's demographics, population. 
Some of it is the stuff we can stop and we hope we can. Uh, we're happy to be joined um, in this month uh, by Allison Sekuler. She's president and chief scientist of the Baycrest Academy for Research and Education, as well as the Center for Aging and Brain Health Innovation. Um, and on the positive, she's also got a hit podcast. You're a hit <laughs> podcaster, Allison. Oh, Tell cool. us about Thank Defy you. Dementia. So we have a hip podcast, apparently. It's called Defy Dementia. And uh, Jay Ingram, who is a Canadian journalist uh, and science writer, and I co-host it, sponsored by the Public Health Agency of Canada. The goal of the podcast is to help people understand that there are things that you can do to decrease your dementia risk. And we talk on each of the episodes about one of the modifiable lifestyle changes that you can make to decrease your risk. And we bring in someone who's got an amazing story to tell about their experience with that, whether it's somebody living with dementia or a caregiver or someone who's struggling with an issue. And then we bring in a scientist who's an expert in that particular dementia risk to talk about what's going on in the brain um, and how we can change our lives in just little ways to help mm. us decrease our dementia risk. So it's Defy Dementia. That's the podcast. Um, I think we're at a really pivotal moment right now in terms of what we're going to do about this. When I lay that out there for 2050, that we'll have three times the estimated 650K, and that's going to turn into close to 2 million yeah. people. It could be any of us. And I think that's why this grabs people, because otherwise yeah. uh, people with topics are, or people you know, with, with thinking, well, that won't happen to me, and that won't happen to me, and I stay in shape. and I de-. Some of it doesn't matter, although there are predictors potentially for Alzheimer's and dementia, aren't there? Yeah, there's predictors, but I think people often, often think in the opposite way. It will happen to me because they think, well, my grandmother had it, or my grandfather, or my mom, or my you know relative had it, so I will have it too. But genetics is just one very tiny part of what goes into those predictors. There's all of these other lifestyle elements, and so uh, people who don't exercise as much, people who don't sleep as well, people who don't eat the right foods, um, those are all sorts of things that can re- that can increase your risk. And so just turning them on their head and saying, I'm going to eat more berries and nuts. I'm going to try to get out and walk every day a little bit. I'm going to try to sleep a little bit better uh, every day. Those all can decrease your dementia risk. So just because your grandma and grandpa had it does not mean that you will. It's one of those, and you're talking to somebody and looking at somebody who sleeps five hours a night, and I try and gain in about an hour and a half napping. So I think about it. So in every other capacity in my existence, and we have a lot of other listeners, you can imagine be it up at 530 who... It's, it's in a perfect world. Yeah, you'd go to bed yeah. at eight and wake up at four. Yeah. But we know that people don't. And then there's all the other associated habits with um, with that work-life balance. Some of the stories are rather remarkable, though, in terms of people um, not recovering from it, but living with it and improving over time. We've had technology and as well research that yeah. has made this possible. Yeah. yeah, and we're doing a lot of that research at the Baycrest Academy. Our, our goal really is to create a world where every older person can live with a sense of purpose and fulfillment and dignity. And to do that, what we really want to do is defy dementia. We really want to be in a place where no more people are being diagnosed with dementia. People um, are detecting it earlier if they do get it. And we're caring for people as well as possible. And to do that, we have to advance the research. It feels like an unwinnable battle sometimes, but um, so did cancer at one point in time. Absolutely. And that's a big thing. Like cancer, even in my lifetime and your lifetime, has changed. Um, HIV and AIDS, like there are things you can be diagnosed with and you think, this is nothing short of a death sentence, yeah. and now it's not. And we've got to get there with dementia. Yeah, all, it's going to, uh, again, we're all going to get older. At, we're all going to age. Absolutely. And we actually use that as a great example because when I was growing up, if you were diagnosed with cancer, you didn't tell anyone, right? You just said, 
there's something happening. Some people still don't. Some people it's still don't. Yeah. There's stigma associated with it, just like there is with dementia. And so that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to take what precision medicine did for cancer and now do that for aging and brain health and dementia. Um, so we're calling it this field of precision aging so that we can help each person age in exactly the right way for them. And we're hoping that, you know, it took a while for cancer research to turn into cancer care, but we're hoping we can get there faster by learning about what things what things happened, how it progressed with cancer and HIV, et cetera. I got one critical question that I want listeners to be able to take some uh, some nuggets of, of info and advice away, but I want to also mention your event uh, sure. first, the Defy Dementia event in Toronto uh, this week. By the way, we're speaking uh, to uh, Allison Sekuler. She's a uh, doctor, president, and chief scientist of the Baycrest Academy of Research and Education. Um, tell me about the event and how people can participate first. Yeah, so we're bringing dementia, uh, Defy Dementia on the road. We've already been to... Vancouver, Halifax, Ottawa. Uh, we're heading to Whitehorse uh, next month, so that'll be you exciting too. I've never been there, so that'll be. In, we're going. <laughs> Why in don't March. you go in August? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you left that yeah, for yeah, a slightly yeah, warmer yeah, weather. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. I see so, the strategy there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what we're doing is basically taking the podcast on the road. So we will have Jay and I will be there co-hosting, and we'll have uh, Mary Hines, who is one of the guests that we had on our sleep episode. She's going to talk about her her struggles with sleep. So people can see, uh, you know, it's 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 not always easy, but there are things that you can do. And then we'll have Nicole Anderson, who's a scientist at the Baycrest Academy, and she'll be talking about dementia risks and and how you can avoid dementia in general. All right, for so yeah, North for, at North York Central Library. North York Central Library, tomorrow, and which day again tomorrow? Tomorrow, from starting at one o'clock and going to four, one to two thirty, we've got the panel and Q and A, and then from two thirty to four, we're going to have all kinds of interactive demonstrations related mm. to each of the risk factors. And we will be, for example, for cognitive engagement, we're going to be showing people these amazing games from um, Joy for Life, the Hasbro games like Scrabble and yeah. Trivial Pursuit, but they're intergenerational versions. And we're going to do a soft launch of a new collaboration of our uh, Kanoku Brain Health Edition, which is an online puzzle you can do to help to improve your brain health uh, sponsored not sponsored, but collaborating with the guys who created uh, the Canadian version of Wordle and, yeah. and Sudoku. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, so Everybody loves Wordle. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's tomorrow. Um, next year, I'm sure you have a great hoster moderator, but uh, let me audition to be Absolutely. the 2025 hoster yeah, moderator. Yeah, sure. this, this matters to me so much. Give our audience some takeaway because it grabbed me yesterday uh, when we were getting ready to have you in. Safeguarding your brain as you age. What are things our listeners can yeah. take away? And like, that sounds great on theory and, and on paper, but it, it takes practical, it takes some effort to do it. What are things listeners can do? Yeah, there's really simple things that you can do. And, and I think that the biggest take home is don't try to change everything at once. Just pick one area where you think you'll be able to make a change. So for example, uh, I'm working on my sleep right now, right? So, and you said you don't sleep that much, but as long as you're sleeping consistent times, that's almost more important. Right? Okay, that's interesting. So that's that's right. good for you. Uh, and whereas I go to sleep at completely random times, uh, you know. Uh, so, so you're trying to improve that. I'm trying to improve that by working on the consistency of when I go to sleep, for example. Um, I'm also eating more berries. I try, when I get into the supermarket, head first to the, the fruits and vegetables aisle. Really simple thing you can do. Exercise, just park a little bit further away. Uh, you know, from 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 a supermarket or something when you're going shopping, or if you live in a place with an elevator, get off a floor early and take the stairs up one flight. So there's all these little, you know, simple things you can do, and mm. it's also really important. People don't realize things like 
hearing loss and vision loss are risk factors for dementia as well. Make sure you get your hearing test. We've got a free hearing test so at Baycrest yeah. uh, on the, on the oh. website. Um, make sure you're avoiding air pollution. It's also a risk factor for dementia. So, you know, if you're, you know, yeah. avoid walking on really heavy traffic areas, um, ventilate your house if you're cooking inside, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, and loneliness and social isolation is another one that people don't realize. And it's, it's if pe- lonely people, people who are socially isolated, two times more likely to end up with dementia. So, Make Join friends. A book club, make social. friends. Go out <laughs> when you're on your walk. Yeah. Say hi to people. I yes. mean, there's little things that you can do, and and they sound uh, little, and they're easy, and they are, and it will decrease your dementia risk. They probably say hi more to each other than White House than Tor- White Horse in Toronto. We got to change that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's <laughs> what we're, we're gonna we're gonna gun to do For in the sure. next year. People can go to Baycrest.org/slash/podcast and they can listen to Defy Dementia there. It should be just as important to all of you as it is to both of us. Thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto.